Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. So I hope you'll take your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 18 this morning as we continue along in our study of the book of Acts verse by verse. And I've really enjoyed it. We've learned a lot of things. And one of the things that we've learned, I think, uh, from following Paul and his companions over the first and second missionary journey is that one, or I guess I would say two things that we've learned that are very easily identifiable. First of all, what we see is that many are saved. The gospel goes forth. Uh, as the word is preached, people's lives are changed. What we're seeing, churches being established, of course, and we're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in a man who's completely surrendered to him and those that are serving him. So that's the first thing we see. We see that God will work and God is doing something. The second thing that we see is that persecution and affliction and discouragement and trials uh, go from being the oddity to now being the norm in the Apostle Paul's life and those that are following uh, with him. And so as we look at the events from these first two missionary journeys, now we're finishing up the second missionary journey today. Uh, Sometimes what it seems like to me or what I've noticed is it feels like there's more rejection than there is acceptance. You ever feel that way? You look at it and you're like, man, these guys are getting rejected. They're getting beaten. They're getting attacked more than the, the gospel is even being accepted. But for the Apostle Paul, the great thing that I love about him is that no matter what the trials, it does not diminish or deter his zeal and his passion for the gospel. Now, last time we left off with the Apostle Paul in Athens, you remember that? And he was there and he was preaching to the philosophers, the Stoics, and he was preaching to the, uh, uh, the Stoics and the Epicureans. But even though he's so very, very clearly gave to them the gospel, what we see is that only a few turned to Jesus Christ in that city. I mean, he gave such a clear gospel presentation, didn't he? I mean, he preached that Jesus is the creator of God. He is the almighty. He is the savior of the world. He died on the cross for our sins and he is the risen savior. I mean, he gave them the gospel, but there were very few uh, that believed in Jesus Christ. And I have to believe, picking up where we are today, I have to believe that deeply affected the apostle Paul. Remember, we had discussed that some people believe that he was a failure. Of course, we argue that no one is a failure who is faithful to the gospel. But at the same time, when there is a, maybe a lack of results or things don't go out, turn out the way that you think they should turn, it does affect you in a certain way. It can affect your soul and it can affect your spirit. And I believe that it had an impact on the Apostle Paul, maybe more than we could even realize. Because what we see as we come to chapter number 18 is that very shortly after that Mars Hill message, we see the Apostle Paul leave the city. Now, remember, when he was there, he was waiting for two people, right? Silas and Timothy. But we don't see him wait around. We see him just leave. He walks away from the city. Uh, He he left those that he told, hey, meet me there. He said, man, what a jerk move. I don't know. We'll see in a minute. We'll see in a minute if that was a jerk move. Um, uh, These guys, and he makes a journey to a new city. And the new city that he goes to is a city called Corinth. So chapter 18 and verse number one is where we're going to be today. Uh, But I want to start with a word of prayer. So let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer together. Father, uh, we ask you and we invite you to meet with us this morning. Lord, I pray that your uh, spirit would fill us in this time. Uh, Lord, I'm not the only one who needs your filling of the filling of your spirit, Lord. We all need it today. If we're going to truly hear from your word, we pray that you would illuminate your word, that you would open our eyes to the truth today, and that you would encourage us and lift us up in your word. And we love you, Lord. Thank you for this great uh, church family and those that are willing to come for this morning service. We're so blessed to be here today. We pray that you'd use us now in your name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 18 and verse number 1, it tells us here that after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to 
Corinth. You know, Paul must have been a little dejected. I really do think he was as he walked that some 80 kilometers. You can see here on the map uh, the, uh, the direction that he would have gone from Athens. The other lines are uh, the way they arrive for the journeys, but the main one here is from Athens back over to Corinth. It's about an 80-kilometer journey. And as he walked along that way by himself with no traveling companions, I can imagine that he would have been a, a bit discouraged. You know, since he came to Europe, he had suffered some terrible things. I mean, he suffered a beating in Philippi like none of us have ever experienced maybe in our lives. Uh, he experienced an overall rejection in Thessalonica and then later on uh, in Berea. In, in Athens, there was just great indifference to the message. And after going through several different times like that, he would have been discouraged. I think all of us uh, can understand maybe a little bit of what that feels like. But uh, as Paul wrote later on to this Corinthian church, it gives us a little bit of insight to the heart and his, to his heart and to his mind as he walked towards that city of Corinth. I want you look at verse uh, number or chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse number 1. He said this, he said and I brethren when I came to you, he's speaking to the Corinthian church. He says when I came to you I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. He's talking about the method or his approach. He said I didn't come with all this great wisdom. He said this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And by the way, that's all you need to know as a Christian. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't have to be some fancy order. You just need to be able to preach Jesus and him crucified. But then he said this, and I was with you. I came to you in, say that word with me. What is it? Weakness. And in what? Say it. Fear. And in trembling. So he says, I came to you as a church in fear. Uh, well, granted, he's writing to a church. The church didn't exist at the time. He says, I came to you in fear and weakness and in much trembling. And to me, it suggests that Paul was a man who'd been through the ringer just a little bit. Somebody who was feeling a little bit down. I mean, we know him as a man of courage, of resilience, of being faithful in trials. But as he made his way alone to that city of Corinth, he was maybe carrying more emotions than we really understand or what we would hope to understand. Isn't it funny sometimes when you have heroes in your life, you don't want to think they're fallible, right? And you're like, no, the Apostle Paul could never feel that way. You know, he was just, he was just kicking down doors everywhere he went. No, the Apostle Paul, he, he, had real, he was a real human like us. And I think we understand what, it, what maybe he was going through at this point. Because we all know what it's like to feel just sort of beaten down a little bit, right? We know what it's like to uh, get knocked down. And then when we're down, get kicked. <laughs> we know what it's like to have some continual things. And as Christians as well, Christians who desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ or Christians who are disciple makers, we understand the burden even more. Uh, because when you combine the normal everyday challenges of life and you add to it the elements of the spiritual battle that we are all in, it can be difficult sometimes to maintain a joyful spirit, can't it? It can be difficult sometimes to maintain uh, our, our, our faith maybe where it needs to be. It can be difficult when it feels like it's just constantly over and over and over again. As a pastor, I maybe understand this uh, maybe even more in a unique way. But there's, I want to share with you, there's this meme that's been going around for a few years that I think is hilarious. And I think it kind of talks about the difficulty. It says, hey, who said ministry was stressful? I'm 35 and I feel great. <laughs> And uh, uh, that's been around for a few years, but it, 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 it's an element because it sort of captures the effects of ministry and how challenging it can be to bear the responsibility. You know, sometimes or us, when I say to you, you know what it's like to bear the burdens and have the spiritual battle and the struggle, we're all like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. Now, I want you to add to that the burden of ministry. See, as, as someone who's in ministry like the Apostle Paul and myself, I don't just carry my burdens and the burdens of my family. I carry your burdens with me as well. 
And I pray for you and I lay awake at night thinking about you and I, and I, and I wonder how you are doing and I'm carrying that on top of it. And that's what Paul was doing. You got to think everywhere he was going, he was establishing churches and he was bearing that weight upon him. And so when things weren't going well, guess what would have happened? He would have been remembering the failures back in Thessalonica. He would have remembered the people in Berea who, who did follow, but then there was that great amount of people who didn't follow. And all of that would have been weighing upon them. And so now here we see him. He's in his mid to his late 50s. He's hoofing it by him some 80 kilometers. He's out of funds. We'll see that in a minute. He's got nothing left. He's got no money. He doesn't have anything with him. And he goes from the intellectual center of the Roman Empire. Now he's going towards a modern, economically powerful city, but a city that was known most of all for its prostitution, its wicked actions, all that were underneath the umbrella of religion. So he's basically going from culture shock in Athens to morality shock in Corinth. And that's what he's going into. Now, Corinth really was an impressive city. And I want to give you a little bit of a background because we're just entering into this new uh, city in our study. Uh, Corinth really was an impressive city. And like, uh, uh, like, uh, um, sorry, like Philippi, it was a Roman colony. And you can see it there. And notice how it's very close to two bodies of water. It's right there on that narrow strip. Now, the city was interesting because it had actually been destroyed by Rome. I mean, demolished, completely demolished, and they rebuilt the city. Julius Caesar actually was the one who rebuilt the city after they had destroyed it. And so when Paul arrived at this point, there would not have been a single building in this city that was older than 100 years old. Now, he had just come from Athens, right, where the, uh, uh, where the Parthenon was over 500 years old. And now he goes to this city where everything is brand new. To me, it's like going to downtown Vancouver, you know. It's hard to find an old building there. Everything is new. Everything is, is technologically advanced, at least for that day. And he walks here, and he comes into this city. And it was very interesting. If you remember, like I mentioned, or, or you see here in the map, it was interesting because the city was on a narrow land bridge. The land bridge was about six kilometers wide uh, between the two bodies of water, which both open up into two different oceans. And so because of that, uh, it was, it was um, very, very important as far as trade was done. Now, I have a picture here of what it looks like now. They actually did finally build a canal, the six-kilometer route between the two. This is a picture of the biggest cruise ship to ever fit down it. And if you want to look that up, it's a very, very scary YouTube video to watch that thing just narrowly go uh, down that canal. But before the canal was built, they would actually pull ships on sort of like log rollers, and they would literally drag ships from one side to the other because it would save them days and days and days of journey coming around. And so you can imagine as a city, it essentially had two ports two different oceans that were connected to it. And so there was a lot of trade. There was a lot of uh, um, wealth and political influence, of course. But like I mentioned, it was also known for its sexual promiscuity. There was the temple there to Aphrodite. And this is a replica of what that temple would have looked like and uh, how it would have looked. And if you go to the next picture, you can see where it would have been was up on that outcropping overlooking the city. And it was an incredibly beautiful temple, of course, but it was a cult uh, worship. The temple was to Aphrodite, who was the so-called goddess of love. It was at the city center there, and it was stood on that 1,900-foot tall hill overlooked the city. And what the city was mainly known for was that in the evenings, there were a 1,000 temple prostitutes, women who were up in the temple during the day, and at night, every night, those 1,000 women would go down into the city to... Uh, each night as prostitutes in search of worshipers for their cult religion. And so imagine that every single night, a thousand of them coming into the city. 
It's interesting, for over 500 years, the term to Corinthianize somebody uh, was a verb that meant somebody who was immoral or somebody who was uh, promiscuous in that way. And so I tell you that not to freak you out or anything uh, or to cause you to stumble, but the reason I share that with you is we need to understand the depravity of the city. I mean, it was a depraved place. It said that if you had money, you could buy anything you desired, anything at all. You could find it in Corinth, whatever it was that you desired. And so Paul, when he approached this city, already discouraged, he came to it with fear, with weakness, and concern as to what would happen when he arrived. I'm sure with every step he took, he thought, they're going to beat me. (laughs) They're going to kill me. They're going to kick me out of this city. It is not going to go well. But what I want us to notice is that when a person is following the will of God, you are not on a journey by yourself. You are not on that journey alone. And As Paul later said in his letter to the Philippian church in Philippians 4.19, he said this, but my God shall supply all your needs, Philippians 4.19, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And what I want you to notice this morning is that though it seems difficult, though it's a trying time for the apostle Paul, I want us to be encouraged that wherever we are and whenever we are down and whenever we are discouraged, if we are still following after the will of God, our Lord will come alongside of us without a doubt. He will provide for us and he will support what it is that he has called us to do. And so as Paul comes to Corinth with fear and trembling, he's determined to share with them Christ crucified, right? He said, I'm going to do that. I'm at least going to do what God has called me to do. But when he gets there, God not only helps him do what he is called to do, but God gives him some very timely encouragement. Timely encouragement. And that's what I want you to know about yourself today. Listen, when you're down and you're discouraged, if you look to the Lord, he will come alongside you and he will give you encouragement. Well, he gives encouragement to Paul in two different ways. And so point number one this morning, we see encouragement from believers. Encouragement from believers. Look at verse number one again. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Verse two. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Verse number three. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought uh, for by, that means worked, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Well, Paul had barely arrived there in Corinth when he came in contact with this godly couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Doesn't it just drive you crazy when married couples have rhyming names, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're like, are you guys long lost siblings or something? No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I know some people like that. I know some people who have very similar names. I know some couples where the man has a distinctly feminine name and the woman has a distinctly masculine name. And so it's just very interesting. But uh, here we have Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila was the husband, Priscilla was the wife. And that we're introduced to this couple who are here in Corinth. And this is very, very interesting here. You say, well, why were they believing? It says that they were godly. Why is it that they were believing Jews here in uh, Corinth? If they had been from Italy and all that, why were they there? Well, it's interesting. History tells us that Claudius, uh, the emperor Claudius, had actually expelled the Jews uh, from Rome because of an uproar that took place. Now, this is really interesting. There was an uproar that took place in the time of Paul a few years prior to this, that uh, the uprising and and what we know from history and what was written down is that the uprising took place or the uproar took place because uh, of of a a person or they say the uproar was caused by someone named Crestus, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S, which that's a Latin transliteration of Christus or Christ. Now, this is really interesting. 
in Roman history, there was an uprising. And so because of this uprising, they actually expelled the Jews from Rome. Now, what we can learn from that is possibly that some believers had already made it to Rome and it begun, begun to tell the Jews, right? They went to the Jews first, began to tell the Jews there about Jesus Christ, Christus. And they rejected it, of course, as all of the Jews always did, rejected it. And so because of that rejection, there was an uproar. There was an issue that caused the emperor to say, you know what? All of the Jews are just out. You're out of here. And so they kicked all of them out of Rome. And so this is where we see Aquila and Priscilla, Jews uh, uh, by, uh, by birth, I guess, but living over there, now had to move their business over here to Corinth. Now, maybe they came to know Christ in Rome. We don't know. Maybe Paul led them to the gospel, which was first. We don't really know. But throughout the Apostle Paul's life and ministry, what we see is that this couple was a great encouragement to the Apostle. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 3, he said this. uh, He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. He said of them later, these people help me. They are helpers in the Lord. Uh, In Corinth, uh, here, what we see is they connected over their shared occupation of being tent makers. Tent makers, we think of, okay, someone makes a tent. Uh, They didn't work for Coleman. Uh, That's somebody who... um just put, would basically what a tent maker was in that day was that you were skilled in leather. So you could do anything. Most of the tents were made of leather. And so Paul, as every rabbi did, knew a trade. And this was his trade. And so when he got there, I'm assuming he went and looked for work. And God just so perfectly put them together. You know, oh, wait a minute. You're Jews? Wait a minute. You're believers? That's, that's what I believe happened because that's how the Lord works so often. You know, as he's out beating the bushes looking for a job. Uh, here they come along and they give him a job and they begin to work together. And what we see is that going on from this point, Aquila and Priscilla become a tremendous help to the Apostle Paul, even traveling with him, hosting churches in their home, even moving to where he would go in order to help provide and care, not only for him, but for the churches and the calling that God had given them uh, to do. And so they became a great source of help to him. In the final chapter of Romans, uh, Paul calls them, as I mentioned, verse number three, he says, they are helped me. But in verse number four, he says that they actually literally, he said, have risked their lives or literally the translation is laid down their necks, have put their necks on the line for me. They were close friends to the apostle Paul. They became strength for him. But not only did God bring this couple into Paul's life to encourage him, but we see more encouragement come by the way of Silas and Timothy. Remember them? Verse number five. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. What an incredible reunion that must have been, right? Paul, why didn't you wait for us in Athens? (laughs) We were all over that city. We were looking everywhere for you, Paul. And uh, we heard about the message you preached, and, and, and we were hopeful to find you. And then someone told us, oh, no, he left. <laughs> what are you doing, man? You bailed on us. I don't know what the conversation was. But either way, they come back together here, and, um, and, and, and it's, it really would have been a great reunion. What we know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Philippians chapter number 4, what we do know, as Paul referenced this meeting, is that they brought to him good news uh, of the church in Thessalonica, and then they also brought him a special missionary offering from the church in Philippi. So they brought good news about Thessalonica, and they brought him an offering from the church in Philippi. And to me, the combination that we see here of the good news, uh, Paul uh, being excited about it, you know, maybe he was able to go and put his two-week notice in with Aquila and Priscilla and say, all right, I've got enough now. We're able to continue on. Between those two things, it tells us that his spirit was pressed together. Now, this is interesting. I I want you to get this. Normally, when you see the idea of uh, of the spirit, we think of like 
provoked, right? Like, and his spirit was stirred within him. Here it says pressed. Well, what does that mean? What that means is that it means that it was held together. Now, I love this. It says that his spirit was held together because of the good news of Thessalonica, the, the support that came from another church to help him, and it means that he was held together. You know, it tells me that maybe he was starting to unravel a little bit. <laughs> maybe things were starting to come a little bit apart for the Apostle Paul. Maybe his spirit was not what it should have been. Maybe he was uh, going through some depression. Maybe he was really struggling uh, in a lot of ways. But it says that he was pressed together and he was now able to follow his calling from the Lord without any hesitation at all. Now, there's a lot of good application here for the local church when it comes to providing for the needs of their pastor. You say, where do you see that? Your pastor, you see that everywhere. No, I see it very clearly here in this passage, and here's why. A healthy and a secure pastor has a greater chance of keeping it together. You know, when I read this as a pastor and I see that he was he needed his spirit pressed back together. He was a little unraveled. I'm like, I'm with you, bro. <laughs> I know what it's like. And so that encouragement from the church of how things were going well, how believers were growing, and then that ability for him to continue on full time in the ministry, that brought him together. I think, uh, you know, he was a tent maker, and there's a lot of great illustration, too, about ministering, having a job that allows you to minister and all of that. Uh, I've been a tent maker this whole time as we've started this church. And I know what it's like, though, to have that distraction. Okay, I need to be making money on this side, but I need to be serving the local church, right? Uh, I, I need to be finishing a website, but I also need to be preparing my message for Sunday. You know, what takes priorities and all of that kind of stuff. So I know the, the, how, what it's like to have your time and your focus and your effort sort of divided and the, and the struggle that's there. And so Paul, he gets his support. He's allowed to go back full-time into the ministry, and then he's also able to have this good news, and it encourages him. Now, I'm so thankful for us as a church how we have taken steps forward to put us in a position, a better position. I'm thankful for us that we're in a better position as a church family and how you guys have been so kind and so generous to us uh, as a family. And it does make a difference. I just want you to know that. It does make a difference to have a pastor uh, who, is, who is not worried about things all the time. You understand what I mean? Uh, it, it, it helps you. A healthy church needs a healthy pastor. An unhealthy pastor is not going to be a healthy church. And so we see that here, this little principle just here for a moment. But for Paul, his first priority, priority, of course, was to preach the gospel to the Jews. And so it says his spirit was pressed. He was back together. He's ready to roll. And he immediately goes to the synagogue and he begins preaching to the Jews. But look at the result here in verse 6. And when they oppose themselves, that's the idea of, you ever try to help somebody and it's in their best interest, but they just oppose it? Like they resist your help, even though it's in their best interest? I, I mean, genuinely, not you like imposing your will upon somebody, you know? <laughs> like, hey, this is what, this is the best for you. <laughs> like, 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 I mean, genuinely, this is in their best interest that you can help them. Uh, and they're still resistant. We see this in children a lot. They resist instruction that will benefit them. Uh, but they resist it. And, uh, and, and they oppose themselves. That's what they're doing. They're, they're in opposition to themselves. Then that would be better for them. So it says that they oppose themselves and they blasphemed. Whoa, that's a big deal. For a Jew to blaspheme, that's a big deal. And it says this, that he, that's Paul, shook his raiment, his clothes, and he said unto them. He kind of, it was a, this is a prophetic uh, thing. The prophets used to do this. He'd shake his garments at them. And he said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. Your blood is on you now. I am free from that. Remember, remember uh, how Pontius Pilate washed his hands, remember? And he says, I, you know, symbolically, I am clean of the blood of this man. 
listen, Paul says, I, I'm, I'm clean. I'm clean. And the blood now, your, pen, your penalty, what's coming to you is on your own heads. From henceforth, he says, I will go unto the Gentiles. In layman's terms today, bro, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with you guys. He says, listen, I've, I've given my life. I have preached to the Jews. Everywhere I go, it's resisted. He says, now you are responsible for what happens. I am clean. And now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. This is a transitional point in his ministry right here. It's a big transitional point where Paul moves from uh, focusing on the Jews. And he says, here, I'm not responsible for you any longer. But you imagine how heartbreaking that must have been? For Paul, a rabbi trained, Mary's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He knew the blindness of his people. And now to say, I will not go to you any longer, as well for him, that was his wheelhouse. You got to think. I mean, he could expound from the law and the prophets of Jesus Christ and prove to them that. And now he's no longer going to be doing that anymore. It would have been heartbreaking. It would have been, it would have been uh, an emotionally charged moment as he told them, I feel like it's hopeless for you. It's basically what he's saying to them. But he made that point. So to prove it, in verse number seven, we see what happens. He departed thence. He's out of there. And entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believing on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. I mean, literally, he went next door. I love that, right? I am done with you, the synagogue. And so he goes to Justice House, a house that was right up against the synagogue. I thought that was hilarious. He's like, well, I'm going now. I'm going next door. And he was able to lead justice to Christ. And how encouraging that would have been to see this Greek man uh, turn to Jesus Christ. And then we see this incredible story here of Crispus, who was a chief ruler of the synagogue. After he said, I'm done with you, the blood is on your own head, and he walks away, this man apparently followed him or came to him. Imagine how that conversation went. Hey, hey, Paul, I'd like to talk to you about, I'm done with you Jews, <laughs> you know. Uh, you are a Jew. No, I'm done with you guys. I'm done with you. No, I want to know. I want to know more about Jesus as the Messiah. And to me, it's like God showing to him. Uh, here, okay, you got to get this. God is never done with people. You realize that? Okay? Until that moment of death, there's always that opportunity for someone to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. To us, we look like, whoa, Jews, psh, done. No, 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 no. Right away, a Jew accepts Jesus Christ. And not only that, his family turns as they see the light. It says they're saved and they are baptized. And what an encouragement that is. Man, what a blessing. What a wonderful result. It's so clear to me in this passage how God is using these believers and these situations to encourage the Apostle Paul to lift his heart. He arrived here discouraged and fearful, uh, but through the kindness of Aquila and Priscilla, the encouragement of Silas, uh, of Timothy, of the churches in Thessalonica and in Philippi, and the testimony of salvation of Justice and Crispus and the others that were saved, God is encouraging them. And I want to tell you something this morning. Listen, you can make a difference to somebody. You realize that. You can make a difference to somebody. Somebody who may be weary in the work of God. Somebody who may be weary in their spiritual life. Somebody who's trying to uh, live for God, but they're feeling like they're not making any progress. You can be a help and an encouragement to them. You know the devil has legions of his discouragers. You realize that? 
And there are many of his whisperers that, that spend their time in nothing but to discourage the people of God and to uh, hold us back, that bring those whispers of doubts. And he loves to play with our minds. And, and there's a host of unwitting humans out there that are being used of Satan and being used by his demons to discourage believers. Yes, maybe that coworker of yours that you think is a little possessed, who's always bringing a problem to you. I'm not saying they're possessed by a devil, but you know what I mean, Right? They, they are being used unwittingly. They don't know it, but they are being used to be in a discouragement and a, a challenge to you. Why not ask the Lord to help you? First of all, Lord, help me. Bring me some encouragement. And then secondly, I'll t- tell you this. Why not ask the Lord to help you be an Aquila or a Priscilla? I'm not saying you give jobs to everybody in the church, okay? <laughs> you got to have a business to do that. But you know what I mean? People who were there for him, that strengthened him, that encouraged him, that, that, that did what they could. Uh, be a Timothy, be a Silas, come to somebody with good news. Uh, be the one to help bear the burden and, and lift up someone's spirit in the Lord. Don't be like Job's wife and tell them just to curse God and die. Come alongside of them and encourage them and lift them up and tell them, listen, God is able. Can I pray with you about the burden that you're going through? These verses are so encouraging to me because it's in uh, that moment that we are often so discouraged that God will bring people into our lives at the right time to encourage us. It also reminds me of the encouragement of the local church. The fact that God has already put together a mechanism of encouragement for us. And it's not something that we should distance ourselves from. It's something that we should put ourselves in. It's, it's a place where uh, we go when we're discouraged, when we have need. We need to get close to our church family. We should not pull away and push away from them. We should get close to each other. I don't know what it is about the human heart that causes us to push people away when we're going through a hard time. And you ever been through a time of discouragement or depression? You're just like, get away from me, right? Back, I just want to be by myself. I just want to, I don't know what it is about the human heart that rejects it. And I think it's part of our sinful nature, right? Because the opposite of that is always togetherness with believers. It's always being around those who love God and share our beliefs and encourage one another in that way. I don't know why we pull away and push away. The answer is always to lean into those that share our faith. To be, a pl- be in a place where you can hear the word of God and be encouraged through uh, the word for us. You know, the church can encourage us in, in a way that our unbelieving friends cannot encourage us. Now, sometimes Christians depend more on their unbelieving friends for help and encouragement than they do on their Christian friends. Some Christians believe and, and rely more on their, uh, the, the unbelieving uh, musical artist <laughs> and the song that they wrote that just gets them right here. And they rely more on them or on that playlist than they do on their Christian brothers or sisters or the word of God itself. Listen, you're, the, the, the celebrity that you follow that's always giving out good vibes is not going to be there for you in those real times of discouragement and difficulty. We need each other. We need the Lord. And sometimes you have to reach out for help, by the way. Sometimes you got to go to somebody and say, hey, could you pray for me? You pray for me. And could you, would you help me with that? I think sometimes we always expect people just to read our body language, right? <laughs> you know, well, so today I'm going to come to church and I'm just going to look ticked off. And then maybe someone will come and, hey, how can I pray for you? Everyone's going to be like, whoa, they look a little angry. <laughs> right? I'm going to be careful what I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to be aware. <laughs> uh, listen, have the joy of the Lord on your face. But if you have a burden in your heart, go to somebody and say, would you help me? Would you pray with me? We need encouragement from believers. And God brings those people to him and God encourages him with that. I, I love it. But secondly, we see encouragement from the Lord. There's encouragement from believers, but there's also encouragement from the Lord. Look at verse 9 through 10. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. 
It's interesting. God came and spoke to him in a vision several times, and every time he came is when Paul had a very specific need, very specific need in his life. He came to him and he said, be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. Verse 10, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. I want to look at these four areas of encouragement that God gave to Paul when he was discouraged. And here's the great thing. Whenever God speaks to us, he always gives us what we need. And that's what he says here. Look at what he first of all says. He first of all says, just don't fear. Don't fear. The apostle Paul struggled with fear. (laughs) Why else would God say to him, don't fear? And we think we're the only ones that are afraid. The apostle Paul struggled here with fear. Remember, whenever people were saved, whenever a synagogue was challenged, there was always a riot beatings. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I just told these guys off. I better watch out because they're coming for me. But God says, do not fear. Paul was expecting it. And God said, I want you to stand strong. I want you to take heart and be strong in the faith. You know, in this sense, many of us are like the apostle Paul because we live in the anxiety of the things that could go wrong. That's what I think his fear was. I think his fear was like, okay, I just, I just stood up to these Jews and now they're coming for me. He was fearful of what was to come or what he thought would come. And that's the, that's the tension that we often live in. The fear that is going to come or the fear that could, uh, could be coming here. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and a fear of, of maybe what could happen or what could go wrong. But as Christians, we cannot live our lives in a what-if world. <laughs> we cannot live our lives in a what-if mentality. That's why so many times we see Jesus encouraging disciples, do not be afraid. Listen, when you're a person who's committed to Christ, you'll have some fearful thoughts. I'll just tell you that right now. But we've got to commit to trusting God, and we've got to commit to uh, trusting God's commands to not be afraid. Maybe that's what some of you need to hear this morning. I don't know. (laughs) I know I need it. You are filled with fear right now. You're surrounded by fearful people. You are inundated with fearful news all of the time. As Christians, we do not live in the same emotional state as the world because we have faith. And faith will always overcome our fear. Always. Just the fact that God told Paul not to fear shows God's love for him. And for us today, we should not be afraid because whatever it is that we are facing, we have a God who loves us. And as 1 John 4.18 tells us, perfect love casts out fear. Who can give perfect love? Jesus Christ. God is the one who can give perfect love. And it should cast out, it should push out the fears that we have here. Jesus says, God says to us, don't fear. He also tells them to keep serving. Keep serving. He says, but speak and hold not thy peace. You know, the struggle that Paul had been going through had slowed his fervency for preaching the word. I I do believe that. We see him as a tent maker. Sure, he would go and he would talk in the synagogue some, but God says, listen, you need to keep on going. You need to keep on speaking. Don't hold back. You need to continue to preach. And God is encouraging here to be faithful. You know, we must never allow the devil to make us quit, church. We must never allow the devil to make us quit. Some days are better than others. Sometimes the ministries that we are involved in or witnessing brings great joy. And other times it's very difficult and sometimes it's very tough. But with God's strength and encouragement, we can continue to do his work. Every single Christian, no matter how young or how mature you are as a believer, we are to be walking in faith and we are to be speaking for Christ. That's why he says, I want you to speak. Don't hold back. You need to speak up. 
Uh, there's a story that's told of a, of a great uh, pastor. His name was D.L. Moody. He pastored in Chicago for a long time and saw, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people saved and uh, all of this kind of stuff. He's really, really kind of famous. Well, the story goes that he was walking on the street in Chicago and there was a man just leaning up against uh, a light post. You know, that's how they did it in the old days, you know, just hanging out there on the light post. And, um, and D.L. Moody went up to him and he said, hey, are you a Christian? What a great question to ask somebody, right? We're always like, if you die today, would you, do you know for sure that heaven would be your home? You're like, death, what, what's happening? Now, do you know for sure that you're a Christian? And the guy said, mind your own business. I've heard that before. <laughs> mind your own business. And D.L. Moody said this. He said, I'm sorry that I've offended you. He said, but that actually is my business. Do you know Christ? That's great, huh? We're like, ooh, I wish I was that bold. <laughs> Man, what a great story, right? We read that. But it's true. As the Christian, sharing Christ is our business. It really is. We are to be sharing it with others. And, and we got to be encouraged to be faithful to be lights in this dark world. Don't hide your light any longer. Let it shine. We need to find somebody who can share what Christ has done. And so God comes and he says, listen, I want you to, don't fear. He says, I want you to speak up. Keep on ministering. Keep on serving. And then he tells him this, remember, God is with you. He says, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. The first where he says, I am with thee, is a promise to us. And we, we know it's a promise to us because we see it referenced multiple times through Scripture. The specific promise that is to Paul is that no one will hurt you. That's a specific promise to Paul. So don't be like the people who like to play with snakes and do all sorts of crazy things and say, oh, God promised nothing will hurt me. That's not true because we see people getting hurt in the Bible all the time, right? But there's two things here. And the one I want to focus on is the what promise that is to all of us. And I'll, I'll talk about what happened here to Paul. This would have been welcome, you know, because Paul was expecting challenges, right? He was expecting to be hurt. And yet God comes along and he says, no one's going to hurt you. Now, by the way, I want you to notice he had not quit yet. Here's the thing. Often we quit because of what happened in the past. And so we expect the same result. And so we don't continue on. Paul, for all of his fear and his difficulty here, at least to us is an example of continuing on. He at least continued on faithful here. He hadn't quit yet. But even when we feel like quitting because of things that have happened in the past, we need to be encouraged like Paul that God is with us. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the world. That's for us, believers. That's for us. For Paul here, it was in Corinth. God says, I'm going to with you. I'm going to protect you. For us, it's the fact that he's just with us all the time. Don't forget that. Jesus is with you. Now, for Paul, God gave him, like I said, a very specific promise here. We see that in verse number 11. I just want to point this out. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I don't see any reference of beatings there, <laughs> of casting out, of riots, God protected him, like he said, for 18 months he had a clear ministry. Now, there's some things that happened later on in the chapter that allowed it that God worked together for good. But the fact is that when God promises us something, he means it. And so when God said to Paul, they will not hurt you, he meant it. When he says, I am with you, he means it. He means it. God is with you. God is with you. And then lastly, I want you to notice, he says, I want you to recognize that your work is not in vain recognize that the work or your work is not in vain. Verse 9, then spake the Lord to Paul by in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak. 
and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Man, this is a great verse. And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to quickly move through it, okay? The Lord here reassures Paul, I have a lot of people in this city. Man, those are encouraging words right there. The labors that he was going to go through in Corinth were not going to be in vain. The fleshly pleasures in that city were empty pleasures, and people were suffering from that. There were people there, though it seemed like they had everything together, they were suffering, they were full of guilt, they were uh, uh, having difficulty, it did not bring lasting satisfaction, they had emptiness of soul, and they needed the forgiveness and peace that Jesus would give them. And the experiences here, I believe, helped Paul to write later on in Galatians, where he said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Church, there are still people in our city that are going to come to Christ. For him, God was saying, listen, the work that you're doing, something's going to happen. And we're going to see that happen. As we study through here, God did great things. And listen, for us as a city here in Vancouver, there are still people in our city who need Jesus Christ and who are going to believe in him. That God is going to do a work in their life and in their spirit and do the great work of salvation in them. And we as a church must not grow weary in the work, not weary in sharing the truth. These words from the Lord, I think, helped refresh and encourage this great apostle. And I'm so glad that God lets us regular folks watch in on this or be in on it and get to experience it together as well. Because here what we see is the greatest of Christians, a tremendous servant of the Lord wrestling with fear and with uncertainty just like I do and just like you do. He was tired. He was discouraged. He was wondering what was going to come next. He was dreading what might happen and God sent to this man encouraging people and encouraging words. Listen, there are times of discouragement in the Christian life. I think you know that. Maybe you're in that time of discouragement right now. I hope that you will learn from this passage today, if you are discouraged right now, that no matter what you're facing, you're not alone. You have your church family here for you. You have people that you can rely on, people that you can go to. As well, you have the Lord. You have the Lord. You don't even need human comfort if you have Jesus Christ. Human comfort's a, a, a bonus, <laughs> right? I mean, how many, how, how many great Christians in the Bible were alone with the Lord, and yet they received encouragement and lift up in their spirit because of God? Now listen, we have the blessing of a church family. We have the blessings of being able to go to one another and say, I need some help, I need some prayer. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. And so I hope that you'll be encouraged today. If you are down in the dumps, if you are fearful of what is to come, if you are discouraged, I want you to know that we got to stay true to what we know. We need to not fear. We need to serve, continue to serve. We need to be faithful to the Lord. And we need to know that our service for the Lord and our trust in God and our faith in God, it's not going to be in vain. It may reap in someone coming to Christ. It may reap in just a joyful spirit or being a help to another Christian. But listen, God is in control. He's on the throne. He's here for you. He is with you. And he wants to encourage us today. The work of God will not be in vain because it is God's work. It's not your work. It is God's work. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.